0: Of course, the weed whacker would begin right when the sermon's going to begin. (laughs) I'm reminded of a, a theologian who I asked when my daughter would cry every Saturday night if that was the devil trying to keep me awake. And he laughed. He said, oh, it might just be God who wants to remind you to not take yourself so seriously. And then he said, next time, give her a kiss when she's crying on Saturday night. And so the weed whacker might just be from God saying to us, let us not take ourselves so seriously, but let's take him seriously. Will you join me for prayer? Holy and gracious Father, we thank and praise you. We thank and praise you that in all three of our readings we were called to love. But love does not begin with us. We are not the source of love. You are the source of love. Our community is, is shaped by love, but not our love, but your love through us. Oh, Lord, we are the branches. You are the vine. Any fruit of love that we produce is a fruit that you are producing through us. And so we ask, gracious Father, that you would produce, and you would work, and you would live, and that you would grow wonderful fruits of love through us, to each other, O Lord, and also to this world that's in need of love. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Do you love Jesus? Jesus loves you, but do you love Jesus? In many ways, this is a tricky question. Because love can mean many things. Most of us think of love and, and we correlate it with emotions. We have passion for Jesus. We have gratitude for Jesus. We experience joy and peace in Jesus. Therefore, we think we love Jesus. And yet our emotions, the same as love. A little girl was invited for dinner at the home of her first grade friend. And the vegetable that was buttered for dinner that night was broccoli. And, the friends, or, and that mother asked the little girl, Do you like broccoli? And she said, Oh, yes, the child replied politely. I love broccoli. Great, the mother said. And so the bowl was passed along to each member of the family. It came to the little girl, and the little girl just let it go by. Well, the mother said, I thought you said you loved broccoli. And the little girl replied sweetly, Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. Just not enough to eat it. (laughs) Emotions are important, but they're not the same as love. In our reading from John 14, Jesus tells us what it means to love him. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them. He is the one who loves me. Let me read that again. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. In other words, love is not simply an emotion. Love requires action. You must do something if you're going to love. Now, this is easy enough for all of us to understand. When you love someone you act. When you love someone, you do. Imagine for, for a minute that you're on a romantic walk along the beach. The sun is going down. The wind is gently blowing. And your beloved looks at you and asks, Do you love me? Because I love you. And then you respond, You know, I really can't say, I'm not done, but it's so wonderful to know that you love me, gentlemen, that's the wrong answer, I don't know why I said gentlemen, I guess maybe because we're the ones who get the wrong answer, I don't know, you give that answer, you'll be walking along by yourself on the beach all the way home. To the couch. Yeah. Love is not simply receptive. Love is not simply silent. Love speaks. Love acts. Love does things. Love is a verb. And so listen again to what Jesus said. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. Now it's at this point... Where, where we get tripped up and we fall into one of two traps. The first trap is to hear these words and turn them into some kind of ruler to measure ourselves and others. That's what the Pharisees did. They, they decided to say, look how obedient I am. I keep all of God's commands. And because I keep all of God's commands, I really love God. Now, when you have a ruler measuring yourself what else do you use the ruler for? Well, yeah, to beat yourself if you're not good. That's right. But if you're really good, what else do you use the ruler for? To measure others, right? And especially when you're not so good, then you really use that measure because you go, oh, I'm not so good, but I'm a lot better than so-and-so. My neighbor. <laughs> your neighbor, right? Or your a relative so much better than them. Do you remember the parable of the the Pharisee and the tax collector? The Pharisee is able, because they're using this idea of obedience as a measure of how good they are and how much they love God. And so the Pharisee stands up before God, and he prays. And I love his prayer. He goes, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. I mean, (laughs) so pretentious. You know, he's just looking up. I'm thank, thank you, Lord, I'm not like other men, you know. And then he goes on to say, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And you better believe he spoke it loud enough so that tax collector could hear it. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Thank you, Lord, that I am so good. Then you have the tax collector who cannot even lift his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast saying, "God, be merciful to me, a sinner." You've heard this before. Which one is justified? The tax collector. Right? Because the, the first one, the Pharisee, used those words. Those who are obedient, they use those words as a ruler to measure how good they are over against others. To hear Jesus' words in this way is the wrong way to hear it. Because we would turn Jesus into some parent that forces us to compete against each other in order to win daddy's affection. That's not how Jesus wants us to hear these words. That's the first trap. Now, there's a second way to hear these words, a second wrong way to hear these words. Now, I'm going to say the words again. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. There's a second way to hear these words, and that's to hear these words as threat or coercion. In other words, to hear these words, you better do this or else. You better obey my commands or else you do not love me. Now, the problem with coercion is that it doesn't fit in the language of love. And I'm so amazed how often spouses will use coercion, will use ultimatums to produce love in their spouse. They'll give an ultimatum, you better stop doing this to love me. Now, ultimatums work, and all men can testify that ultimatums work, but they work in stopping destructive behavior. That's the place for them as law. You use them to say, you better stop this or else. But ultimatums do not produce love. Ultimatums stop destructive behavior, but they do not produce love. Because that person is not responding out of a free spirit, that person is responding out of fear. That person is responding out of, out, of, out of loss or, or the p- potential of loss. Whereas love is free, love freely gives. Love delights in the other. And so to hear these words as coercion, you better obey or else you do not love me, is to miss the point as well. You see, Jesus is not some parent who wants you to earn his affection, nor is Jesus some boss who is trying to manipulate your performance Rather, Jesus is speaking as the good shepherd. Jesus is speaking as the one who washed his disciples' feet. Jesus is speaking as the one who called his disciples friends. These words aren't meant to manipulate you. These words aren't meant to to make you earn his love. Instead, these words are meant to help you. Martin Luther, on his Treatise of Good Works, explains how God's commands often are like a helpmate, and he explains it this way. He says, imagine a young lover to whom we must whisper, psst, Daniel, send Pamela flowers. Daniel, Pamela likes chocolate. Give her some. Now, those are commands. But they're of the helpful type. They're one friend helping Daniel out because Daniel just is the first Lutheran and Lutherans are a little slow. And that's what God is doing with these words. It's Jesus coming to them and going, psst. psst. I've been with you three years. You should get it by now, but you don't. So psst. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He's the one who loves me. Now, you have to remember just a little bit earlier, the chapter before, Jesus gave them a new command. He washes disciples' feet. They're still in the upper room, so they haven't even left that room. Psst. And then he washes the disciples' feet, and then he says to them, A new command I give to you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then later that very evening, just to make sure they got it, he said, my command is this, love one another as I have loved you. So when Jesus says, psst, whoever has my commands, he's saying, you have my commands, I just gave it to you. I'm going to give it to you again, psst, listen, love one another. Love one another. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what your, your whole, as disciples, that's what your whole group is going to be defined on. The way that you love each other. That's what's going to make the church your love for each other and the love for God and your love for your enemies and your love for your neighbors. That's what's going to define it. I think all of us need to hear that. Psst. Because if you've ever been in churches... We are awful at love many times. We need to be more gracious and more loving to each other. Not coercion and not trying to to manipulate affection. But we need to be the kind that we love sacrificially. Love like Jesus loved by washing his disciples' feet. Love the way Jesus loved by dying on the cross. That's how we're to love. And I love the fact, and I, and I want to pause here, because I'm convinced Jesus is the first libertarian. And I'll tell you why. He doesn't give a hundred ways to love. He doesn't say, you know, you have to love by every Tuesday morning, waking up and going to your neighbor's house and taking the newspaper to your neighbor's front door when he's sick. He doesn't do that. He doesn't give more rules. He just sort of sets us on our way. He says, Love. Well, how are we to love? Well, the way I loved you. To everyone? Yeah, everyone. That's it. Go. It's so refreshing that we don't have a rule book. This isn't a rule book. Maybe the Old Testament was, but the New Testament. And we don't deny the Old Testament, so I'm not denying it. But Christ fulfills those rules. We don't. And then Christ sends us on our way. Love. Love. This is the new command I give to you. Love. Well, how in the world are we to obey that command? Again, we're sinners. We don't like each other. We might not even like the person next to us. Well, if they're your spouse, you better like them. But... How are we to obey this command? That's when Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit are so important. Because what Jesus is saying in this passage, and this is where he's really speaking about the Holy Spirit, is that you're going to need the Holy Spirit to empower you to love this way. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to to turn your heart in such a way, to open your heart in such a way that you're willing to Hope all things and expect nothing. And be willing to give all things away. You can't do this by yourself. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, the one who comes alongside you. The one who comforts you and helps you. Those are all words for the Holy Spirit through different translations. To love. He's going to be the source or power of your love. Without Him, you can't do it. Have you ever heard the saying, nobody is indispensable? It's not true. Say that to a man who had lost his wife of 50 years. Say that to a mother who just attended the funeral of her son. It's not true that nobody is indispensable. Richard Mann, the producer of Miami Vice, was asked if Don Johnson was indispensable to the show of Miami Vice. And I can't stand Don Johnson, right? He answered, yes, Don Johnson is indispensable. There would be no Miami Vice without Don Johnson. It's true. As much as I don't like Don Johnson, it's true. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is indispensable to the theology of grace. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit is the one who's doing all the heavy lifting the Holy Spirit's the one who's pointing us to Jesus in the first place, who points us to the Father. The Holy Spirit's the one who's actually changing the heart from selfishness to actually generous. Without the Holy Spirit, we could not do it. I love that hymn, Love Divine, All Love Excelling. And there's a line, the second verse, that says, Breathe, O breathe thy loving spirit. Into every troubled breast, let us all in thee inherit. Let us find the promised rest. Take away the love of sinning, Alpha and Omega B. Into faith as it's beginning, set our hearts at liberty. Right? Change our hearts, O Holy Spirit. Now, it's fitting that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And the reason is because the Holy Spirit's the one who's the silent worker so often. Right? We speak much about God the Father. We speak probably more, especially in Lutheran churches, about Christ the Son. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this. We don't speak much about the Holy Spirit. I think in many ways the Holy Spirit is, is the humblest of the three. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be talked about much. The Holy Spirit doesn't need a big deal made about him. The Holy Spirit is that silent worker, who just works and works and grabs you when you're least expecting it, and when you open the Bible in desperation, just makes those words jump, or who makes you love your neighbor when you didn't want to. It's the Holy Spirit doing that, often without us even knowing. Remember the parable of the sheep and the goats. The sheeps and the goats, the punchline of that is that the sheep think that they're goats and the goats think that they're sheep. The goats say, when did we see you and not clothe you? Because we do all these good things, O king. And the king says, I remember a time. Now the sheep are the ones who said, when did we see you and clothe you? Because we don't do that many good works. And the king says, ah, but I remember a time when you did. The sheep didn't know they were sheep. And the sheep couldn't even list on one hand any of the times they did any good works. But they did. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was working through them to produce good works. Even when they did not know that they were doing it. Because the Holy Spirit is that silent worker. And it's the same with us today. There are many good works that you do that you have no idea that you're doing. There are kind words that you say to your spouse. There are deeds that you help your neighbor out with. There are things that you do at your workplace that you wouldn't even think twice about. You just do it because that's what you're supposed to do. You don't even know you're doing a good work in these things. But God does. And the reason God knows you're doing these good works is because God is producing those good works through you without you even knowing it. Remember, Christ is the vine. You are the branches. Any good work that you do, whether you know it or not, it's God the Father working through the Holy Spirit to produce that work in you could you love more of course you could ask the holy spirit to help you but ask for the question of do you love jesus the answer is simple whoever has my commands and obeys them loves me do you love jesus of course you do you have his command you obey much more than you realize And so you love Jesus much more than you can ever know. And praise God for that. In Jesus' name, amen.